This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about our feelings about those and our understanding from previous teachings about those, or maybe the churches that we were raised in. If you were raised in a uh, Protestant church or a Reformed church or a, a fundamental church, you have one view of spiritual gifts. If you were raised in a Church of God or Assembly of God or Pentecostal or Charismatic church, you probably have another view of that. If you go to one seminary, they're going to teach you one position. Another seminary is going to teach you another. And as we talked about when we first started this, that basically all of those are based on presuppositions. They're based on deductions we make on Scripture. And those deductions are usually not based on what the Word says, but they're based on our experience. I don't want to be like those people, and so therefore, since those people are wrong, whatever they, scriptures they use to justify what they're doing, we're going to find a counterbalance. But the reality is, if I asked everyone in here, starting with Karen and went this way, the reality is that I'm sure that you and I all believe that there's more to the Christian life than you're experiencing right now. Do you agree? There's more power. There's more passion. There's more love. I mean, when I ask people the question on a scale from one to 10, where are you right now? If you say you're a 10, then you're going, you know, I'm experiencing the most I have ever experienced right now. And it is glorious. And I'm hoping tomorrow I'll be 11 or 12. Most people's answer is something less than a 10. Well, I'm an eight and we kind of applaud eights. You know, I'm, a, I'm a six and a half, which is what most people say they are, and, which means that you already know that there's more to the Christian life than what you're experiencing. And because of some apathy or sin or just laziness or whatever's going on in your life, you have chosen to live in a subpar experience with Christ just based on what you know. But if we were to, if we were to take the, and, and, base, and this continuum is based on you personally. But if we were to take a survey of all Christians who ever lived, I've got the Apostle Paul over here, and I've got John who laid his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, and I've got martyrs that died because of their faith. I have missionaries. I have George Mueller over here, and and I've got Billy Graham over here, and I've got all these Christians, and I asked them, what does it tend to you? You would find that their experiences would all differ. George Mueller would say the 10 for me was when I had nothing. And, and, and I remember the, that story that always ministered to me when I had like 140 kids lined up for breakfast and there was no food. Do you remember the story? We're going to line them up anyway. What do we do? There's nothing in the cupboard. God said he would provide. So they all sit down at the table and they have their empty plates and their empty cup and we just wait. Next thing they know, there's a knock on the door and 
my cart just threw a wheel outside. I've got all this milk. It's going to spoil. Can I give it to your kids? Absolutely. And as soon as that was done, all of a sudden there's another knock at the door. And here comes the baker saying God woke him up at four in the morning saying there was a need there. And George Mueller would say, yes, it was times like that based on faith that were 10 for me. You talk to a missionary, and a missionary may say something totally different. That, that what happened to me when I was on the mission field, and I, I, I couldn't even communicate the gospel, and I was so overwhelmed with that. And, and then an amazing thing happened, and I was just crying out to God, and, and this Holy Spirit fell, and they heard the gospel message in their own language, as we talked about what the gifts of tongues really means two weeks ago. And, and it was incredible, and people got saved, and Maybe Corey Tin Boone would talk about the fact that when she was in Ravensbrook and they had smuggled in a little vial of vitamins and she wanted her sister to take them all because Betsy was really sick and Betsy says, no, we share it with everybody. But if we share these vitamins with everybody, they'll be gone in like two days. And all the time they were there, they kept pouring the vitamins out and God replenished it like he did in the Old Testament time with the woman in the vat of oil. Do you remember? And all of us would have different experiences. Billy Graham would maybe maybe talk about the fact that he takes the same message in the same non-dramatic way. And he preaches it and tens of thousands of people are saved. My wife owes her salvation to her father who shared Christ with her, and he was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. It's amazing how that happens. You know, there's, uh, there's more to the Christian life that we're experiencing. If you hang around some people that are charismatic, they will tell you, well, what you need is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and well, what is that like? Well, you come to my church and I'll show you. And they walk down the aisles and they zap people in the head and they fall out and they laugh and they jerk and they, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, what? Is that what? Oh, yeah, it just fills you with joy and laughter and, and that kind of thing. As I was watching, as I was preparing for this, I was watching uh, Kenneth Hagin going through this huge crusade. It was, it was, God, it was demonic. Going through this huge crusade. I mean, the place was packed. It looked like a concert. And he was walking up and down the aisle. And, and every time he would just look at somebody, they would literally convulse in laughter and fall on the ground like, a, like it was a seizure. Okay, I, I, I'm not denying that's happening to you, but I don't understand where that is in Scripture. And so what we end up doing is we end up determining what we feel about the gifts of the Spirit and what we feel about being filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit or the Holy Spirit in general based on our experience and not what the Scripture teaches. Well, let me tell you, my experience can be deceiving. Can yours? There's an account where a prophet of man of God, not even mentioned in Scripture, goes to Jeroboam and, and brings this railing denunciation of Jeroboam. Jeroboam says, got it. He says, uh, and I appreciate that. Why don't you come to my house and let me reward you for that? No, no. God told me not to do that. God told me to go back the same way and to take nothing from anybody. And so Jeroboam let him go. And as he's heading home, another prophet hears about that. So he runs out and says, hey, I'm a prophet of God too. And an angel of God spoke to me and told me that it's okay for you to come to my house and violate God's word. So the guy comes to his house. They eat a meal. Uh, the one prophet convert, uh, convicts the other prophet. God judges him by having him killed by a lion. Do you remember the story? It was kind of a crazy story. 
But the fact is, I'm not denying that that false prophet actually had some visitation. I don't think he made it up. An angel probably appeared to him, but it wasn't a godly angel. It was some sort of demonic angel telling him to do something contrary to God's word. Our experiences can destroy us. How do we know if what we're experiencing is true? Or how do we know if there's an experience we haven't had that we want to have? Or how do we know if there's an experience that we have had, whether it's valid or not? It's based on the word. It's the word is what determines to us what is right and wrong. We've, we've gone through the spiritual gifts and we've looked at the gift of healing. And the gift of, is the gift of healing like Benny Hinn? No. But there is a gift of healing. The scripture talks about that. Is speaking in tongues like what we see in a church setting where there's 75 people all jammering at the same time? No, that's not what the scripture, yet there is a gift of tongues. And we try to line our life up with what the scripture says rather than what our experience tells us. True? It's never more important than when we deal with this issue of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The scripture talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and there's a segment of Christianity that basically says this is how it's done. You're to be baptized by the laying on of hands and as evidenced by that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever that means and whatever experience that is supposed to be, you have to speak in tongues. But again, tongues we found out is a gift that's not given to everybody, only given to some. And so since we feel that is wrong, we trash the whole deal. No, that's not really true at all. And that's ridiculous. You don't have to do that. They, of course, maybe have experienced something like that. Or because they believe their experience is true, then they believe that we're wrong. And then you have a two-tiered Christianity. And the two groups never get together. Protestants are not... Are, um, Non-charismatics never have joint ventures with charismatics. If an evangelist comes into town, Baptists only invite Baptists, or sometimes they'll invite maybe independent churches or Methodists or Presbyterians, but they're not going to invite charismatics because the charismatics are going to come and do their charismatic things and kind of mess up the conference that they're having. Charismatics, of course, only invite charismatics to their event because if they invite reformed people, they just sit here like bumps on a log. And so there's no spirit in that, and so there's this mass confusion going on. So we're going to address this issue today. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to finish it up on Tuesday. But I want to I want to tell you what the scripture teaches about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I think you're going to be surprised because the scripture basically says both camps are wrong and both camps are right, just like it was with tongues. You know, what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And is it a command of God? Am I commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if so, is it something I should actively seek? If there's something out there I don't have, and I'm commanded in Scripture to get that, then it would be a sin for me not to seek that. But is baptism in the Holy Spirit one of those things? And if so, what does it look like? I mean, does it look like what I see on television? Does it look like what I've experienced when I've gone to some churches? What does it look like? And how is it obtained? And most importantly, is it even biblical? I mean, is this even something I should be worried about or something I should care about? Or is it a, is it a perversion of God's word? Or, or is it, what is it? Is my theological camp so tight that I refuse to let God move in a way that I feel uncomfortable? Or is their theological camp so loose that they let any sort of emotion in there? Where is the reality in any of this scripturally? Basically, there are three positions people take when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the conservative one. Simply says, every believer receives the Holy Spirit at regeneration. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at regeneration. He is our deposit, our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. Got that. Therefore, here's the deduction. Based on the fact that every believer receives the Holy Spirit at regeneration, which is a true fact, our deduction is there should be no later baptism sought. In other words, if I have everything now, if I have all of the Holy Spirit now, if I'm complete in Him, then I don't need anything else. And so therefore, what I've received in Christ should be sufficient. And logically, that makes sense. Experientially, not so much. Well, there's times in my life when I felt really far away from the Lord. There's times in my life when I felt so close to the Lord that when He spoke to me, I could feel his breath on my cheek. And what's the difference here? Is it a filling? Is it a baptism? Is it a permanent position? And Position number one, this is the Baptist conservative non-charismatic position. Here's the other position. There's three actually. It gives some examples. As Christ's disciples, all of them, and Philip's convert in Samaria, and the 12 men at Ephesus were true believers... These people were already regenerated. Would you agree that the disciples were regenerated before Acts chapter 2? Yes, they knew Christ. And the fact that all of these people were already regenerated, nevertheless, they still needed to receive the promise of the Spirit. Deduction, and since they needed to receive it, obviously we do too. Okay, two true statements, two deductions made on those statements, which may or may not be true. Then you've got the third position. And the third position is kind of hedging your bet between the two. What it basically says is, it's not really a baptism, it's really a matter of semantics. It's tomato to me and tomato to you. It's baptism to the charismatics, and it's filling of the Holy Spirit with the non-charismatics. That baptism was a one-time event, and, and these other things are like additional periodic feeling fillings like God gave his people in the Old Testament. Third position says, while recognizing that every believer has the Holy Spirit, which they do, nevertheless, from time to time, a believer may need and receive special renewal of the Spirit's presence from on high. That is also true. You've experienced it in your own life, have you not? There's been times when God has been so close. God has empowered you. I mean, I have preached sermons under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Then I have preached sermons under the unction of Steve. And trust me, the Holy Spirit is better. You know, there's there's times that that has happened. We've all experienced that. Got it. True statements. Deduction. These times of renewal may be understood to be fresh baptisms of the Spirit, or they could be just fresh infilling of the Spirit, depending on what theological camp you want to be in. One position says that I need more of Jesus. That Jesus has something out there for me that I didn't get at salvation. That somehow I'm not complete in him until there's this second infusion of grace, this second baptism of the Spirit, where instead of getting just the sanctification part of the Spirit, I'm getting all of the Spirit. 
The other side puts the emphasis on me and says, I do have everything the Spirit wants for me, yet I have not yielded myself to the Spirit enough. So therefore, it's not that I need more Jesus, but Jesus needs more of me. Do you understand the difference? One is something that is given to me. The other one is something that I have to work and strive for. And based on how you feel about these last two sentences, really determine on what theological end of the continuum you are on when it comes to the Holy Spirit, irrespective of that. I don't know about you, but I need more of the Holy Spirit, don't you? And if there is some sort of baptism or infusion or jumper cables or or paddles on my chest when I have a heart attack or something of that nature, man, I want it. But if I already have everything there is, then the, then the, the pressure is on me to yield more of me to him. And when it comes to that, I'm kind of terrible at it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I have mountaintop experience, sometimes I'm deep down in the the dredge, sometimes I let sin creep in, sometimes I stand firm against it. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Do you remember? Which one is it? What does the scripture teach? Now, do you already have an opinion on this? And is that opinion based on your careful study of Scripture or is that opinion based on your experience and what just feels comfortable to you? Here's what the Scripture teaches. It talks about a baptism of, a baptism by, a baptism with the Holy Spirit. First thing we always do is define our terms. What does the word baptize mean? We're not talking about filling. We're talking about baptized. The word is baptizo, and it basically means, as I've shared with you over and over again, to immerse to submerge for religious purposes, basically to overwhelm, like when somebody is submerged underwater and the water overwhelms them, or literally to saturate, to soak. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to be overwhelmed by him. That ever happened to you? To be saturated with him, that you sweat the Holy Spirit, that your pores ooze out the Holy Spirit. That if somebody took you like a sponge and squeezed you, Steve wouldn't come out, but the Holy Spirit would come out. To immerse me in him, to overwhelm me in him. A theological definition is this. The baptism of or with the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God coming upon the believer. The question we have is when does that happen? Taking possession of his faculties. Wow, when does that ever happen? Imparting to him gifts not naturally his own, which we've just studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by which qualify him for the service to which God has called him. One thing you will learn as we go through these spiritual gifts and go through talking about the Holy Spirit is everything the Holy Spirit gives you is not for you. You're not baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit or endued with power on high so you can go, wow, that feels great. I'm so happy. It's for service. It's for God. It's it's, it's power to do God's bidding in a way that maybe you and I are incapable of doing in the flesh few facts that we know from scripture after regeneration we are never commanded to seek the baptism of the holy spirit scripture never once ever after regeneration says um, 
to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It does say that we're to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Are they the same thing or something different? Is the filling and the baptism the same or, or is it different? Does the baptism having happen once and, and the filling happens a lot? And, 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 and how does that work out? And, or is the filling and the baptism different? From each other. I mean, what is the scripture teaching on this? Did Jesus ever promise his disciples the filling of the Holy Spirit? Never. Not once. He never used that phrase. Jesus never said, you'll be full of the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Ghost. He always talked about a baptism. But Paul and the other New Testament writers almost specifically talked about a filling. So, are they the same thing? Are they different? Do they, do they look different? Do they feel different? I mean, is, I don't want to know what the church experiences. I want to know what the scripture teaches. So let's look at just filled with the Holy Spirit before we take a look at baptism. Baptism or filled, which one is it? Here's some scriptures that talk about being full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Obviously, the Spirit, Holy Spirit was in him. He was obviously saved. Acts chapter 2 has already happened. This is now Acts chapter 4. He's getting ready to proclaim his great message. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's proclaiming this message. Said to, the, said to them, rulers and people and elders of Israel, and on with his message. A couple verses later. And when they had prayed, this is the church now, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit so they can laugh like some sort of, like I remember there was this guy named Rodney Howard Brown who would go around and part of the laughing revival of the, of the 80s and 90s. And he would go around to these big conferences and he would line people up and tap them on the head. And when they did, they would fall down like it was the funniest joke they ever heard. And they would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And he marketed himself as God's bartender. Holy Ghost bartender. I mean... But we find out that they were filled with the Holy Spirit for service because they spoke the word of God with boldness. You ever been in a prayer meeting like this? I haven't. Always wanted to. You ever got together and prayed and, and all of a sudden felt like something incredible was happening? Last Tuesday, or two Tuesdays ago, we Tuesday night, I sat everybody down and said, listen, we got a lot of needs going on in our, our church right now. We just need to pray. So we started the, the time, our prayer time, with a time of intense prayer. And I, when I came here, it didn't look like it was raining. I had no idea what was going on. And I prayed. And as soon as I prayed, I think Pam started praying. And as soon as Pam started praying, I assume it was rain just pelting this tin roof. But all of a sudden, it went like, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And I literally, I was thinking here going, really? And I looked up to make sure there weren't cloven tongues of fire on everybody. And I wish there were, but it was incredible. And I'm thinking, God, I even, I was asking him, is this, is this, are you answering my prayer here? And no, Steve, sorry, it's just rain. <laughs> you know, a little disappointed. I want to go to a prayer meeting like this, don't you? I want, I want God to do something. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Paul is saved now. It says, Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, after Paul's encounter with Christ on a Damascus road, it's three days later now, brother saw the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came and sent me. Why? For what purpose after regeneration? 
that you may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Would Paul call this a baptism in the Holy Spirit? He's already regenerated. Three days later, he now receives his sight and a filling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed in Scripture when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, they happen to have a joyful countenance about them? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, praise God. You know, really? Ephesians 5, 8, the verse we're looking at here, do not be drunk with wine, which makes you giddy, which makes your inhibitions down, which just puts a smile on your face, and I'm everybody's friend. No, but be filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes people are described not by being filled with the Spirit, but the after effect of that, being full of the Spirit. We have here in Acts chapter 6, where they're trying to decide who to appoint as leaders of the church. It says, now therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. And what's the most important characteristic? They need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who may appoint over this business of making sure that the daily distribution of bread was handled. Full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that whatever my capacity of the Holy Spirit is, I'm maxed out. And obviously these guys were maxed out, not just periodically. Man, I really got maxed out last Thursday, but, you know, then I watched a couple R-rated movies, and now I don't have the Holy Spirit anymore. You know, I'm hoping to, to have communion today and confess my sins to the Lord, and maybe I'll get maxed out. These guys had a history of being maxed out here. That's how they were described, full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was a good man. In what way? He was full of spirit, of the spirit and faith, and great many people were added to the Lord. Full of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are they the same thing? Let me tell you a couple of truths here about being baptized. And I think, um, again, we're not going to complete this today because I want to take my time with it. But I think you're going to be surprised at what the Lord actually says here. One, these are truths. One, there are a number of designations in the Bible for this single experience. It's an experience that some people call baptized, where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon people, and maybe in the book of Acts they speak in tongues and prophesy. Maybe sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes they do great powerful things. Sometimes God moves in them with a great ministry. Sometimes, like in a church setting, they all spoke the word of God with boldness. And then later on we find great signs and wonders were done among the people. You ever been to a church meeting that had something like that happen? that all of a sudden the power comes on a group of people and they speak the word of God with boldness, then we go out to our jobs and our neighborhoods and our friends and neighbors and the restaurants we go to and we're proclaiming God's love and his greatest and his mercy with boldness and signs and wonders accompany that. Well, no, we don't experience those things today. That all ended back at the close of the canon. Who says? Who says? That's a deduction that we make based on experience. Various mentions in the Bible for some sort of phenomena when the Holy Spirit comes and takes possession of an individual. Let me just share a couple of these with you. In Acts chapter 1 it says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be, one of the designations is baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit at some point in the future, not many days from now. 
In Acts chapter 2, it says that they were all filled with the Spirit when it actually happened. The baptism takes place, or the baptism was promised, but when the baptism was, was fulfilled, it wasn't called a baptism, it was called a filling. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We find back to Acts chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for, and he called it the promise of the Father. That the promise of the Father is going to come. The very next verse, he tells us what that promise is, is being baptized by the Holy Spirit. The very next chapter, we see the fulfillment of that referred to as being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see how the Bible talks many different ways about this unbelievable Phenomena that Jesus promised. Promise of the Father, which you said you have heard from me. In Luke, Jesus talks about this promise again, but he defines it a little differently. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father, which we know is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are. And then he defines that promise of the Father as being endued with power from on high. Wow, I can't think of a better definition of being baptized or filled or whatever you want to call it with the Holy Spirit than being endued with power from on high. Are you? Do you have his power on high? Well, positionally, yes. Oh, now we're going to be explaining away our our power. Positionally, yes, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and Colossians 2.10 says, and I'm complete in him. We just sang a song about being complete in thee. So yes, I guess I do have the power on high. Well, is that power being manifest in your life for the glory of God? No. Well, now, whose fault is that? One camp would say it's the fault that you haven't actually had that power germinated. It hasn't been fertilized. It hasn't been watered. It hasn't been a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will generate that power in you to move the rods out of the nuclear reactor in your soul. Or the other side says it's you. It's your fault because of your sin or your apathy or your lack of Bible study. So in order for you to be endued with power on high, you need to do more. You need to pray more or or witness more or love more or read your Bible more. You ever been there? And we get get guilted out on that. and, And the bottom line is, if we really cared, if we really thought that being endued with power from on high was based on what we're not doing or the time we're not putting in, Obviously, we're satisfied with not having the power from on high because we're not putting the time in or we'd be different. Does that not logically make sense? Which is really unsettling, is it not? Makes us feel like a weenie. Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking his words, the Holy Spirit fell Holy Spirit came. We have a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have a filling of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many, and many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit not only fell, but in Acts chapter 10 says that gift had now been poured out. That's like a lavish pouring. It's like me standing. It's kind of like, do you remember? Uh, matter of fact, I was watching. Where's, where's Amanda? I was watching, I don't know why I saw this, it was on your Facebook thing from years ago, where you're standing out there for that challenge, and there's that tractor, that, that 
truck full of water on top of it. Do you remember that? And I was thinking, Amanda's standing there going, I call out these people. Remember that, whatever that challenge was, you had done with water. Well, Amanda didn't have a bucket. Amanda had a front loader full of water. And so it just drenched her. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a perfect picture. I should have showed the video. It's a perfect picture of what's happening here. You know, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And the gift of the Holy Spirit was lavishly poured out on them. Is that a baptism? Is that just a temporary filling? It seems like more of a baptism to me, doesn't it, you? Acts chapter, oh, then we continue. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? You have received the Holy Spirit. First it fell on them, then it overwhelmed them water-wise. It was poured out on them, and we now know that they have received the Holy Spirit just like they had. Acts chapter 11. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit again fell upon them as upon us in the beginning. This is him recounting what happened. And I remembered the words of the Lord. Peter's saying, really, what did the word of the Lord say? How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus never used the phrase filled. It's always baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's what happened, Peter says, in Acts chapter 10 and his recounting of that in Acts chapter 11. Two, the baptism of Holy Spirit is a definite experience that you will know if you've received it or not. I want you to sink this, let this sink in. The scripture teaches it is a definite decision and you flat know if you received it or not. If I asked you, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mean, you know. Well, I see a lot. No, I'm asking if you've received it. Um... I didn't know I hadn't until I had. And once I had, then I knew when I thought I had, I obviously hadn't. Make sense? I thought I knew what it was like to love a girl. I had a whole bunch of girlfriends. I just love her, just love her, just love her. You know, all that kind of stuff. Until I met Karen. Until I got married. And then all of a sudden, all the other stuff that I thought was love wasn't anything compared to the love I have for her. And I thought when we first got married that I loved her more than I could ever love her, and that was nothing compared to how I love her now. Notice those people who have been married a long time? And I'm hoping 20 years from now that the love I have for her now will be nothing compared to the love I have for her then. And so each time we we think we've reached something, then our experience moves the goalpost a little bit or or moves the bar up. And we realize, wow, I thought it was love, but no, this is love until I experienced this. And I thought that was love, but then this is love and this is love. And it's a definite experience that you will literally know whether you have received it or not. Let me share a couple verses that explain that to you. The first is in Luke chapter 24. Look what it says here. Behold, I send, again, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. How would they know? And how would they know? I'm going to send you the promise of my Father, and you're to stay in Jerusalem until that happens. Well, how long do we stay? Well, you'll know. It's some definite experience that will take place, and when that experience takes place, you're going to know this has happened to you. We have Acts chapter 19. Paul's meeting with a bunch of believers and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he expected their answer to either be yes or no. Uh, 
Yeah, we did, or no, we did. Their response was no, we never even heard of the Holy Spirit, because if we had heard of the Holy Spirit, then we obviously would have experienced what you're talking about here. Don't really understand how it happened, but there's a, a definite experience that takes place. Now listen, I, um, I do not trust um, any experiences that we have today. Because we live in the Laodicean church age. And as we went through the book of Revelation, we talked about the church ages where God says nothing good about, where God says something good about, and then where he kind of says something good and bad about. In our church age, he says nothing good about us. As a matter of fact, he says, because our perception of him is so wrong and our perception of us is so wrong that he literally wants to vomit the church out of his mouth. It says that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. But the door we're talking about here is the door of the church. So the church age in which we live, Christ is on the outside of the church trying to get in. I have a hard time believing someone's experience today because it's tainted and perverted most of the time by the church age in which we live. However, the church age prior to ours, the Philadelphia church age, God only said good things about. Do you remember? That's the church age of the great missionary movements. That's the church age of Hudson Taylor and Finney and Moody and R.A. Torrey and Spurgeon and those kind of guys. It was before the charismatic revival after the Azusa Street revival at the turn of the last century. It's before a lot of the crazy stuff that we've experienced the last hundred years or so. And so when they talk about gifts of the Spirit and when they talk about being baptized in the Spirit, it's counter-curt church culture to them from a church age that honors truth. Understanding that, I want to read a small account to you from Dwight L. Moody, who is a non-charismatic kind of guy. He's uh, been preaching a lot. This is before the Great Chicago Fire. Um, People were getting saved. He had built this huge church down there. He was incredibly popular. He says this. First of all, in Chicago, there were two godly women Mrs. Sarah Cook and her friend, Mrs. Hawkehurst, who attended Moody's meetings at Farwell Hall. And it says that their hearts came a great burden that this precious man of God be filled with the Spirit. Dwight L. Moody be filled with the Holy Spirit. On more than one occasion, Mr. Moody made reference to them as he did in the meeting in Glasgow. And here's, this is quoting, this is D.L. Moody. I can myself go back almost 12 years and remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was such delightful, uh, it was delightful to see them there. For when I began to preach, I could tell by the expressions on their faces they were praying for me. At the close of the Sabbath evening services, they would say to me, we've been praying for you. And I said, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, you need power. I needed power, I said to myself. Why? I thought I had power. I had a large Sabbath school in the largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at the time, and I was, in a sense, satisfied. But right along, these two women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about the anointing for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and we got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's Moody's term, or a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there came a great hunger into my soul. I knew not what it was. I began to cry as never before. The hunger increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer if I could not have this power for service. I kept, I kept crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. There's something I'm missing. Fill me with the spirit. Dwight L. Moody. Then came the great Chicago fire. 
On the evening of that memorable night in 1871, when one-third of the city was laid in ashes and thousands were left homeless, Moody had preached in that hall. With the institutions he had founded in ruins, Moody went east to appeal for funds. In other words, his church has burned down, so he's gone back to New York City, and he's appealing for funds to rebuild the work in Chicago. Here's what he says. My heart was not in the work of begging. I could not appeal. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with the Spirit. Well, one day, in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience which he didn't speak of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did, I went, uh, the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be as a small dust of the balance. D.L. Moody, in his autobiography that I've read, said that he was walking down the road in New York. This is months after he had this desire for the filling of the Holy Spirit or a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a man that was obviously regenerated and used mildly by God, and he's walking down the road in New York City, and all of he's praying, and he's asking God for that, and all of a sudden, he felt this, this power come upon him that he didn't think he could stand. So he turned into a shop, and he walked up to the shopkeeper, and he said, do you have a room that I can just be with for just a couple hours? And the shopkeeper says, yes, I've got a spare room upstairs. And he went upstairs, and he closed the door, and he said, God sent him wave after wave after wave of he calls an anointing or a power of the Holy Spirit or a baptism of the Holy Spirit to literally, D.L. Moody asked God to stay his hand lest he die. It's not a joke. This is Dwight L. Moody. This is not some charismatic guy that tries to hawk money and wares on television today. It's an experience that when it happens, you know that it's happened or you know that it hasn't happened. Scripture teaches that. Experience tells us that. Number three, the baptism of or with the Holy Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is very important to understand. Separate and distinct from regeneration. The Holy Spirit works in regeneration, but there's a second uh, work of the Holy There's a lot of works of the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to salvation, there's a second part of that that is separate and distinct from regeneration. Regeneration is when I'm saved, but there's an empowering of the Holy Spirit that comes separate from that. Example, for John truly baptized with water, but you, who's he talking to now? His disciples, the 120, those people who are already regenerated. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. These people had already experienced regeneration. He's promising them something else. Acts chapter 8. When the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They've already heard the word of God. They've already been regenerated because you don't get the Holy Spirit apart from regeneration. So they sent after the fact people to come down to complete the education they needed to talk to them about something else that comes subsequent to your regeneration. The second act of the the Holy Spirit. 
Continuing, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not fallen upon them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Or they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, as we would say. We find this principle about the twofold act of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and imparting the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Let's look at regeneration first. These are verses that you all know. This is Ezekiel 36. First is regeneration, God doing a work in me. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will regenerate your spirit. Same thing happens with us. And then what happens? Next verse. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. I will regenerate you and give you a new spirit and then I will give you my spirit that will make you a different person. We have this in Psalm 51. Paul, uh, or David crying out uh, his petition to the Lord. First regeneration. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Make me different on the inside. Give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. That's regeneration. And then what happens? Next verse. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. There's a regeneration and then an impartation. I love this verse, 1 John 1, 9. We all can quote that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. An act of regeneration. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That comes by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We can't do it in our own flesh. There's a, there's a, a twofold aspect that happens here. Acts 2, 28. This is after Peter preaches the sermon right before 3,000 people get saved. Men and brethren, they cry out, what shall we do? First regeneration. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. What happens then? And you shall receive the gift, the impartation, baptism, filling of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at regeneration. Yet I have learned, I've been reading a lot from Andrew Murray on this, but a lot that says almost know nothing about the Holy Spirit as a living power living within them to give us ministry or give us power for ministry and service. Lord, help me in this situation. You've got the Lord living in you. We yield on him. We, we give our life to him and he, he lives his life through us vibrantly. You ever experienced that? Well, occasionally. Occasionally. I don't think an occasionally is how he designed us to be. I, I think he wants us to live like this all the time. Don't you? Four. <clears throat> Baptism of the Holy Spirit is always connected, not with your personal sanctification or your personal feel good but it's always connected with testimony and service and ministry for him. You can look the verses up yourself, but every time they're in the house and the house was shaken, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. They didn't fall on the ground and laugh like hyenas. And five, and this is, I'll stop with this one. The best way to understand what the baptism of the Spirit is all about 
is to see what that baptism actually does. And we're not talking about what it does in people in our generations or in churches or stuff of that nature, or even to you. We're talking about what it does biblically. And here's the verse, Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power. When? When the Spirit has come upon you. That power is dudamas power. It's explosive power. It's miracle working power. It's achieving power. It's overcoming power. It's the kind of power the church needs today. It's the kind of power that I'm reading these verses and I'm asking myself, do I have this power in my life? I have the Holy Spirit in my life. He's, I have gifts, the gifts he's given me in my life. Have I received this power? One position would say, yes, but you're not using it then I don't know how to use it because I've been trying to use it for 30 years. The other side would say, no, because he hasn't endued you with power on. Then how does that happen? How does that work out? And you shall be my witnesses, it says to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you and I have a hard time being witnesses to our own family, to the people we go to work with. To our own community. We don't even want to share Jesus on, the, on Facebook. Because somebody may say something bad about us. I mean, where's the power? It comes from him. It comes from him. And I want to close with this. And I want, you to, I want you just to think about this. And again, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk a lot more about this on Tuesday. But I want you to, I want you to realize that Jesus is our type and our model for Everything. Everything. Jesus said, everything that I do, the Father does. The Father commands me and I do. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, which is another helper just like me. So when it comes to Christ, Christ is modeling the entire Godhead. And what Jesus is basically saying, you want to learn how to live a sinless life? Watch me. You want to learn how to pray? I'll teach you how to pray. This is how I pray. You want to learn how to do miracles? Follow me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to send you out on your own two by two, give you the Spirit, and have you do the things that I, you're going to be doing after I'm gone. Jesus is our type for everything. Watch this. He's lived 30 years as a man. We know, of course, from Scripture that he never sinned, but we don't know anything about what he did. Did he do mighty miracles? Ah, Nobody recorded that. Disciples don't talk about that. Jesus doesn't talk about that. Was he a great teacher in the synagogue? No, didn't even, didn't even say anything. He even brought any messages. Did he? What, what did he do? He was just kind of like a normal guy like you and I until all of a sudden some event took place where he was baptized by John. Do you remember? And watch what John said about this Jesus. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Well, what's he going to do, John? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Lord wanted us to know through John that when this guy comes, in addition to all the other things he's going to do, he will bring a baptism of fire or judgment based on those who reject him. But he... He, Christ, is the one who will baptize with or in the Holy Spirit. It's he that does that. And he models that in front of us. All of a sudden, uh, John is baptizing. Jesus comes up. And John says, I need to be baptized. Oh, I recognize who you are. You're the Holy Son of God. Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. No, let it be done for righteousness' sake. What does that mean? In other words, we need to go through this because it's the proper thing. There's a type 
happening here. And so all of a sudden, Jesus is baptized, and when he comes up out of the water, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and sets upon Christ. And then he goes out and he's tested because of that. And from that point of his earthly life on, Jesus was the Jesus we know in Scripture. Empowered by the Holy Spirit with an intimacy with God. Look what what John says about that. And I, John, didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize the water says this. This is how you'll recognize Jesus. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Not as he who's the Messiah, or he's the Christ, or he's the Son of God, but as he's the one that's going to baptize you, and you, and you, and the church, and, and us today, with himself, with the Holy Spirit. John identified, John said that, that Jesus was identified to him by God. Yes, when the Holy Spirit baptizes Christ, then you'll know that he's the one that will share the experience that he just had with you. Isn't that amazing? So if he's a type, I'm just going to throw some questions out here. We're going to try to answer these on Tuesday. Jesus only gives to those what he has already received. And that's exactly what he did. I... uh, Jesus says, or John says that he's the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I know how to baptize with the Holy Spirit because I have been baptized that way myself. Because of that, I'm in constant fellowship with the Father. Constant. I mean, the Bible says in the New Testament that when I don't know how to pray, God himself inside of me prays the words and groanings I can't even understand. True? And maybe in the garden... Christ was like that. It says all of a sudden an angel came and aided him. And I mean, he's anguishing and he's crying and, and who knows? But the fact is what Jesus modeled for us as a human is the same way he wants us to live today. Jesus' will was totally submerged in the will of his Father. Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit wasn't happenstance. It wasn't here on Tuesday, lost it on Wednesday. I want to get it back on Friday because I got to go to church on Saturday. It wasn't that way at all. It was a constant fellowship with him. It was a constant leaning on God, praying to God, having bold access to God, all the things the Holy Spirit does for us now. Receiving the Holy Spirit like Christ did was the key blessing promised to those at Pentecost. I find that's amazing. Repent, every one of you, and you'll be and, and for the remission of your sins and be baptized, and you will receive eternal life. Didn't promise that. You'll receive riches on earth. You'll receive uh, blessings and honor. You'll receive knowledge and understanding and wisdom and grace and mercy. Didn't promise any of those things. The, the calling card for the first sermon ever preached, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The very same thing Jesus said he was coming to give, to baptize in the Holy Spirit. The same thing we, Peter says, have just experienced, this promise that God had given. The same thing that's available maybe for you and I today. Isn't that amazing? But this is the scary one. Jesus spent three years with his disciples teaching and maturing them before they received that promise. But he didn't do as what I would have done. Uh, Peter, Peter, yes, will you follow me to be my disciple? I will. We're here. Zap. Now you're a different man. 
You know, now you're not, now you're not fickle anymore. Now you're not boneheaded anymore. Now you're going to keep sticking your foot in your mouth. You know, I'll, I'll just, I'll give you everything, I'll give you the baptism. And that's not what happened here. I mean, he matured them, promised them, better for me that I go, because if I go, you're going to get what I came to give you. And then I had to wait for 10 days. I mean, I don't even know why he did that. I do know prophetically to wait till Pentecost came, but, but he's, he's waiting 10 days to, to, I don't know, to, to see if they're really committed to this, if they're going to hang with this, if they're going to pay the price of intimacy and commitment and love and devotion to receive this incredible blessing that maybe many of us have never experienced in its fullest. Never. Just had glimpses of it. I mean, aren't you tired of living the Christian life primarily in the flesh and having God just kind of bless your efforts? Yeah, it was pretty good today. I didn't want too good yesterday. I messed up today, but I want to start again tomorrow. Like being on this perpetual diet, we'll start again on Monday. You know what I mean? I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be incredible if, if we could actually lean on what he's already given us? What he's already made us complete in him? Understand this. It was Jesus alone who baptized. It's not like we're seeking the Holy Spirit for some sort of esoteric experience. Jesus is the one that gave us that. He's the only one that baptized us, and so we should look to Jesus and Jesus alone for everything. Everything. R.A. Torrey wrote a book called How to Be Baptized in the Spirit. R.A. Torrey was the man who took over after D.L. Moody. Uh, still back in the Philadelphia church age, he uh, uh, was a theologian. He was not a charismatic guy. He didn't do conferences and bounce you know, hit people on the head and all that kind of stuff. And, and he wrote a book, and the book's really amazing. It simply says that if you will follow these simple steps that are lined down in Scripture, I can guarantee you, in a shadow of a doubt, that you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infusion of the Holy Spirit or filling of the Holy Spirit or power from on high or however you want to term it. And the steps are hard. Because the steps have to do with commitment, they have to do with trust, they have to do with love, they have to do with the renunciation of sins. I'm sitting in my office and I'm asking the Lord, Lord, as I always do, is there anything in my life that is standing between me and a deeper relationship with you or, based on the terminology we looked at today, a filling of the Holy Spirit or an infusion of power from on high or had the Holy Spirit poured out on me or to be saturated with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, however you want to define it. Is there anything doing that? And I got my sheet of paper out and I started writing stuff down and they're never the big sins. I have dealt with the big sins. You know what I mean? I've, I've, I've dealt with all those things that we all would agree are sins. But it's those other things that are so difficult to, to deal with. No, I was maligned, and so it's therefore I shouldn't have to pay this or do this or, or whatever it is. And, and my little pride there. Or, or just the small sins or, the, or just the thing on what I watch on television. It's not that bad. I know, but God told me that it's standing between me and a deeper relationship to him. I know, but I, I just unwind. I really like it. And it's not that bad. But is it true and righteous and praiseworthy and of good repute? Does it honor me? Does it? No. Paul says, I desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right. And those are the hardest ones to give up, are they not? Hardest ones to give up. You know, my, um, my self-medication with food. You know, I, I, uh, if I have a bad day, eh, we'll get something to eat. We'll start my diet on Monday. If we have a, a good day, hey, let's go out to eat. Start my diet on my... Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of times have I done that? 
you know? And, oh, if I'm complete in you, then it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And then I have to say no to hunger pains. Uh, I don't want to. It's not that big a deal. Just one cookie. I mean, I remember when I found that I was a diabetic, I praised the Lord for that because being a diabetic meant that now I have to eat righteously. But I don't. You know, so what is he going to give me cancer? You know, will that get your attention? Probably not. It has to do with the condition of your heart. If you, if you go through these steps and, and some of the ones, just the renunciation of things that you think you have a right to, but don't exalt him, those are hard. Are they not? And I can, ver- I can, I can almost guarantee that all of us at one point in time have asked the Lord those things. He's presented those things to us and we've said thanks, but no thanks. Because that's, not, because that's why we're not endued with power on high like he wants us to be. And that's crazy, is it not? I'm going to share with you on Tuesday R.A. Torrey's steps. They're all biblical. And I'm going to strive in my own life. I've actually begun today to, to, to deal with those. God, if there's something there, show me. Because he will. Maybe it's a lust. Or maybe it's a desire. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a sin I refuse to give up. Maybe it's some sort of rationalization that I've determined that I need this. I want this. I deserve this. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the only one of the Godhead that can be grieved. You realize that? doesn't say the Father can be grieved. doesn't say the Son can be grieved. It's the Holy Spirit that can be grieved. So let me, let me encourage you to come Tuesday as we talk about this. But to, to really take serious that however you want to define it, there is more to the spiritual life biblically than probably you and I have ever experienced. And I think once he opens those floodgates up, things will never be the same. Pam has had this spiritual renewal take place in her. And I'm not, again, Pam, I'm not trying to give you glory at all in this. And I didn't tell her I was going to share this. Is she the same Pam today she was four months ago? What's the difference? Christ. It's Christ. And if you ask her, she'll tell you that it took a, it took a renunciation of a lot of things that just ate her time up and a devotion to some things God has called her to do. You don't memorize passages haphazardly. doesn't happen that way. I made a devotion, a commitment to do this, and God honors that. God honors that. And so I want to I ask you to realize that I mean, God may have blessings for you, I may have intimacy with you that you can't even imagine if we simply give him first place in all. Amen? Let me pray.